With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome to the Virtualization and Cloud Security Podcast, episode 174. I'm here with Mike Foley, who is the senior tech architect for Technical Marketing of vSphere or something like that? Senior Technical Marketing Architect for vSphere Security. Yeah, vSphere Security. I almost got it all. Yeah. The title's way too long. Can we just call you the security jockey? Security monkey, I guess. <laughs> Aren't we all? Um, my name is Edward Kletke. I'm will all over everywhere. You can find me there. And if you have any suggestions for this podcast, please let me know. I write now at TVP Strategy, which is www.virtualizationpractice.com. Now, if you have a VM Escape issue, please visit www.vmescape.com. We are no longer right. answering those. However, we will start talking about a little vSphere stuff before we head into our normal to our topic for today. And our topic for today is going to be security disaster recovery plans. We've mentioned those in the last two podcasts, but we never really explained what they were and what you need to consider. So that's what we're going to talk about. Mike, you're the one that came up with that, so you'll be the first one to talk about that. But first, there's a new thing, and that is people are talking about disabling TLS. Why should you disable TLS 1 and 2 and whatever? Well, TLS 1, TLS 1.1 have been found to be less than secure. Uh, there are a number of regulations, especially PCI, that have said um, TLS 1.0, TLS 1.1, SSL v3 are all uh, not secure enough anymore, and that you really need to be running and, and you need to be running TLS 1.2. Uh, now, mind you, uh, most of the issue is in the browsers, meaning. Um, you you can be running you could you could be running like TLS 1.1, uh, but if your browser is really old and it could you know go down to an older version, it just it's it's a mess. The law the, the new law <laughs> as as uh, sent down from above is TLS 1.2 or bust, and um, with vSphere 6.5 you can turn off all the bad stuff. And what's the command to do that? And you're running it from a any help. And you don't have to run it from the host. You have to you can run it from the vCenter server, the vCenter. Right. So you can there's... log in and run the command, and then you can also run it from a vCLI session, I believe, as well, or anything that can run Linux. Or well, Windows. there's the 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 way to disable these is uh, there are two downloads on myvmware.com on my.vmware.com. And one is for the Windows version of uh, vCenter, which you should be migrating off to. The other one, which is the uh, vCenter server appliance. Yes. 
in both cases, you would download uh, the the bits. One is a, an MSI file for Windows. The other one's a an RPM for VCSA. Read the documentation, install those bits, and TLS will be disabled for 1.0 and 1.1. Now, the name of those is actually, is, um, just so you guys know, it's the VMware vSphere TLS Reconfigurator. Mm -hmm. And you can get various versions of that for MSI or RPM, and they install on the, inside the appropriate appliance. Right. Um, so those are the, that's what you need, and you need to be running it from a vCenter server. I stand correct. I sit corrected there. Yep. And um, once if you have TLS somewhere else, instead of just vCenter and everything attached to vCenter that comes from VMware. Say that again. You have TLS running somewhere else, TLS 1.0 and 1.1 running on yep. a third you, party. You've you got, got, you've got to hunt party. those down. Right. Yeah. So one, one, one thing to note is there are usually a lot of things that are connecting to your vCenter. Older versions of PowerShell, um, uh, Horizon View Manager, NSX, all of these are connecting to, uh, to vCenter over secured connections. If they are a really old version that don't support TLS 1.2 and you disable TLS, they say, let's say you're running an old version of Horizon, it only supports uh, TLS 1.0, and you've disabled TLS 1.0 and 1.1, that version of Horizon will not be able to connect to your vCenter unless you re-enable it. Exactly. And so, then if you want, you can also do there's a site called checktls.com for some of your external locations. There's some free tests that are available. You can also look for downloads that will check for TLS on various connections. Yep. Exactly. Pay attention, folks. This is not easy. And actually, there's a couple of companies out there that will check your versions of SSL, SSH, TLS, whatever, um, that you can actually get services from as well. So there's there's a whole list of companies that do this. Right. So check your security companies, check your online, but inside the management cluster or management. And by the way, I've never thought I would really say this, but a management cluster is a good idea, a two-node management cluster, because there's about 30 or 40 VMs just from VMware that you could run as part of management. When you think right. about that, they all have to be speaking the right version of TLS, so having a management cluster that you can control and limit what's in there is a good idea, leaving the rest of the world all by itself. And you can mitigate this also by just using a really good set of controls inside to access that management area. So you don't actually have to disable TLS if you can't, but you definitely have to have a control in place to limit access if you cannot. Correct. And that has to and that has to pass BCI audits and all that. So be careful what you do. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, TLS uh, disablement is available today for vSphere 6.5. Um, pay attention to the downloads for vSphere 6.0. And if you really want to look at this stuff across everything else, there are, as I said, there's checktls.com for external sites, and I believe there's some tools that you can use internally, but you can also look at companies like Vanify. Yep. 
And that's pretty much all they do is look at SSL and keys and stuff like that. So, And make sure you're luck. running new, newer browsers. Yeah, double-check all your browsers. Um, that's a pain, but it's absolutely required. If you're using BDI, update all those browsers. Yep. Cool. Now, let's get on to our – we covered that. Is there anything else to cover on that? No. Okay. Now, recently, I went through the migration from 6.0 U2 to 6.5. One of the things that happened to me is I had a pretty major disaster, so much so that I had to call VMware support to get help. And it oh took God. an engineer on the phone. Yeah, this is rare for me to do. And it took an engineer on the phone with me for pretty much half a day to figure out a direction to go in to solve that problem. And what I had was some people find, oh, this is not this is really a non-issue, but it really is. I had a VDS configuration get corrupted on the host so that when I migrated vCenters, it picked up the corruption. Ooh. And I don't know what caused the corruption. No one does. And that's no. that's fine. I even tried a brand new vCenter. And it still was corrupted, so it actually pointed to the host. This did not make a good day for me. I got a solution. It was I'm in the midst of implementing it. I moved everything off VDS to VSS temporarily. Now I'm going to go to a vCenter with PSC and then redo my VDSs, and I should be fine. Yep. But this this started making me think. I was pretty much if I didn't already have running VSSs for most of my management, I would have been SOL. Because vCenter stayed up for about 20 seconds at a time. And it's very hard to do any type of repairs in the 20-second window. Which well, gave me to the... I thought, you were, I thought you were better than that. I script a <laughs> lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm good, but I'm not that fast. Um, I got a job running right now for security, and it's something for security has been running for 22 hours. So come on, I'm not that fast. Um, so this made me think, we've started talking about security disaster recovery plan. And we've both mentioned it in the last couple of podcasts, specifically around when we start talking about large-scale deployments of anything. Mm -hmm. So let's start there. What is a security disaster recovery plan, and would that have actually helped me? Well, let's let's kind of just momentarily dial it back just a little bit and talk about disaster recovery plans in general and then dive into why you need one for security. Um, disaster recovery is – and then talk a little bit about the, the, uh, some of the differences that people um, – some of the poor assumptions that people make. Uh, number one, um, disaster recovery is, oh, my God, something happened really, really bad. How do I get my business back online ASAP? Right? Yes. A, a disaster could be a tornado has taken out my data center or um, an 18-wheeler truck hit the, the pole outside of my data center, which had the transformer on it, which was po providing power and it's my only link of power into my data center, and now I've got to wait for the electric company to come in and fix all that, and I'm going to be or down for a while. somebody backhoed the fiber. 
Yeah. Or someone back goes to fiber. Not like that ever happens. It never happens. And and we're talking about, when we talk about disasters, these are unplanned events. If you have a hurricane coming, you actually have six, seven days before it hits. You have a chance to at least do some planning to recover from that before it hits. And that's actually that's actually different. Uh, that's actually disaster avoidance, yes. right? If I know I have a, a hurricane coming and I have a data center in Louisiana in, down in um, uh, New Orleans, and I know that the track of the storm is probably not going to hit Baton Rouge, well, maybe I can use something like long-distance V-Motion to move all of my VMs from one data center to the other. Okay? Exactly. If the math works, then great. You're you're cool, and you can shut down that New Orleans data center, make sure everything's up on stilts, and, and off we go. That's or better disaster. yet, float it. Right. That's disaster <laughs> avoidance. None of these should be confused with something like fault tolerance uh, within vSphere. I hear this all the time. Well, why can't I just run fault tolerance? Well, fault tolerance is great if unless the application or the virtual machine operating system goes belly up, then the shadow VM operating system or application will go belly up. really doesn't help you in a disaster uh, as much as you may think, right? And actually, and if, I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, when you talk about fault tolerance, you're talking about keeping a service running in case the previous the, the the machine dies, and so you can literally say, "Okay, it died." Bring up the fault tolerant version of where you go, and they're running really close together. Disaster avoidance is you're running, you're trying to move things sixty plus miles away. Right. Disaster recovery is it was truly and utterly unexpected, and you're now SOL. Exactly. Exactly. So we've kind of set the the tone for, you know, what a disaster recovery situation is. Usually unexpected, usually unavoidable. It, you know, SH1T happens. Yeah. And this, and, and it all happens. I mean, it hits the fan all the time. I mean, I mean, we have people on the chat. If you have a suggestion, something you want to bring up as a, a true disaster, let us know. We'll we'll tell everybody about it. But it really is a true disaster. So, disaster recovery from a standard location, standard approach is really about business continuity. Can I keep my business running? If the disaster right. hits something that is not critical to my business. I don't need to recover it as fast, so I can live with that. If it right. is critical to my business, then I need to make sure I have a hot site, a, a, a clone in the cloud, or you know, a plan to recover. What do I do? What button do I push? Where? Who do I call? All right. that. And you need and, a plan. And there are solutions that, that are out there that help, can help you automate much of that plan from a virtualization standpoint, right? You know, you've got a site recovery manager from VMware, and you've got some others from other vendors. Any, and that's any disaster recovery as a service solution would probably help you here. Exactly. Exactly. But what happens when you all of a sudden become the target of a hacking ring? Um, you get caught in the crossfire of uh, a nation state trying to get at someone else 
are saying. Or, um, or, or let's not even go that far. Let's not even go that far. What happens when you restore to wherever you are and you have to be, and you're in a highly regulated industry, if you are restoring to a cloud, that cloud may not meet your requirements. You may not have the proper networking, or you may have right. the most. Remember, you're trying to get running. The running may be just put everything in the simplest form possible, get it up and running, and we'll worry about dotting the I's and crossing the T's later. But, but you know, that in, in those particular type of scenarios, when the auditor comes in and says, what the bleep, um, you can have that sit down with them and said, look, I was either going to lose $100 million in the course of one week waiting for someone to mop, mop up the problem, or I could get the, the business con continuity going, which would allow me to pay your salary, um, and I'll deal with the fallout from an audit standpoint uh, because you know, we're still keeping logs and everything else. Those, those are all, that's a business level discussion. If you go back to, if you go back to the uh, the Phoenix project, that's an almost exactly cut and paste out of there, where the security guy was told, we could have solved this problem with a, from a business discussion with the auditor as opposed to a compliance discussion with the auditor, right? So you can you can deal with those. My worry is, is when I talk with security folks, I, I ask them, so what's your disaster recovery plan? And they go, oh, well, the IT guys will, will take care of stuff like that if a tornado happens. I said, no, 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 no. What happens when you have a security disaster, whether it's you've been hacked, you're, uh, someone is, is actively stealing your data, someone is in your data center uh, uh, virtually, um, you know how what what is your what is your documented response to this scenario that scenario that scenario from a disaster recovery and the answer is not i ran to the the data center and i hit the big red button like i did when mitnick was going after my systems and, right? and the thing is is that you're talking about I'm talking about one aspect of that, and you're talking about another. Right? Let's talk about yep. my aspect first. My aspect is... Well, it's your show, so sure. Yeah, well, <laughs> of course, it's my show. But, I mean, when you think about it, if I do DR, even for business continuity, I also need a security response plan to that DR. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is one of those things that need to happen. Big red button was pushed to do DR. Now, what's security's response to that? Is security's response to go in and just audit? That's fine. If security's response is to go in and reharden, that's good too. But it needs to be thought out. You can't just say, hey, it's not my problem. That needs to be in that disaster recovery plan. Maybe it's not the mo it's not a response to a hack, but it's a response to availability and confidentiality and things like that. And yes, you can have a audit discussion with an auditor about that on a business issue, but you want to make sure you cover all, you cross your T's, dot your I's when you need to. So you don't have that discussion at all. They're tough discussions. Yes. So that has to be in that plan as well. Plus, how do you respond to an attack? And a lot of people I know are going to say, oh, that's incident responses problem. <laughs> what what if what if the hacker has gone ahead and deleted all of your VMs? How what's your disaster recovery plan for getting everything back up and running? Exactly. 
And how do you keep them from re- – and the thing is, is that's a time – and when you think about that one, I mean, what's actionable advice here, which is always what this show is about, is setting restoring back to where he already infiltrated is a really bad idea. <laughs> right. Go somewhere else or do something else. Blow away, start over. It doesn't make any difference. You have to have a solution. And it could, depending on the size of the environment, will give you the answer to that solution. If it's a small environment, that could be very painful. If it's an extremely large environment with a lot of extra capacity, you may be able to do that. And this actually, if you think about it, when you get write these security disaster recovery plans, it could actually say you need to make different buying decisions for, for underlying infrastructure as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of things. What what if the hackers have gone in and corrupted all the firmware on all your boxes? So let's what's start your re- talking. What's your recovery for that is, is really good. But what, let's start talking about one other thing. What do you need to know? Let's start, we, we got all the use cases, and we can go through use case after use case and say this is, should be in there. But let's talk about this one. What do I need to have a copy of? in order to have a response to that's in a positive fashion. I mean, think about it. Should you back up your firewalls? Rules. Uh, yeah. Friends, if someone trashed all those. What about your switch settings? Right? What else? What yeah, else do I mean, you really there, need? there is a... There is a serious case here for automation, right? Oh, yeah. Because you, you want to go and touch every single thing and essentially pull down some type of uh, something that will allow you to recover back to a known good state. And then all of that stuff that you're copying down and saving somewhere has to be encrypted somewhere and not with any key that's being used Anywhere else. Anywhere else. Or it needs to be put on a disk and locked in a safe. Yes. Right. Right. And that safe yeah. better be water and fireproof. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just say, for example, you are using uh, NSX and you have a whole bunch of uh, edges and you've got NATs and VPNs and so on and so forth. Um, you're going to want to have backups of every single component. Actually, the really nice part about NSX is that if you actually set up the automatic backup, which you can do, it captures mm-hmm. all that data, but it's in a form that can only be restored back to NSX. It's not something I could read. So right. being able to, it's an encrypted file, but being able to decrypt it is tough. It would be really nice if I could decrypt it as a secondary measure so that I could actually, if I had to replace my NSX edges with something else, I could actually replay the rules. Right. And I could you know, view you, the rules. You could, you could, write, you could write something uh, using uh, Power NSX, for example, the PowerShell command list for NSX, and dump a that. whole bunch of – you could dump a whole bunch of interesting information in addition to – the backup that NSX does. And, you know, that's we're, that's just one component. What about um, you know? What about the the card swipe thing for the building? Um, 
what about your key management servers? Have they been compromised? Am I going to have to rekey any encrypted content? I mean, all of these things, you start going into them and you're like, holy crap, as a security guy, I'm looking at this going, well, yeah, compliance is important, but this, honestly, for to the business, starts becoming equally important. And what is your damn disaster recovery plan? And let's talk about that. I mean, we talked about key managers last time. Key managers we know have to be as available as DNS. Now, mm -hmm. uh, do you also keep one that is only occasionally talking to the rest of the world to capture periodically all the new keys and revocations? Yeah, well, is it is, is it a v, is it a is it a write only KMS? Meaning, exactly. it's not it's not in the list of KMS servers that can be queried. Um, and you know, maybe your KMS server has two networks, one for public and one for private, and this one's only on the private network that only the other KMS servers can see, uh, and that's used for replication. I mean, do you, have you configured things that way? Um, or do you have an archive server attached to it that allows you to basically do versioned writes uh, of all the keys? Essentially a hardware HSM. Or a hardware archiver that basically does versioned writes. I mean, when you think about this one, it's not just one version you need. You don't know which one went bad. So if you start collecting this stuff on a daily or weekly or monthly basis, whatever it is, I want to keep multiple versions of this. So if I'm doing keys, I may want to keep multiple versions of the keys until I know I can throw them away. Right. You know, then you have to worry about connectivity of that device and other devices like it. This is, this is we're starting to go down a different route here, rethinking of disaster recovery itself. When you think about it, I should be able to, when I do disaster recovery, I should push the button and restore my environment back to where it was or enough to keep the business running, and that includes security, compliance, the works, not just, not just virtual machines or containers. It's everything else there, and we have the tools today to do that. But no one's really put it. Have you seen anybody put it together? No. I haven't seen anybody talk about it. I mean, I talked show, to some of the data protection show, folks, show, show and they're not session. even close to getting this. Yes, show me a session at show me a session at RSA conference on security disaster recovery that goes into the detail of how to recover from a security standpoint your virtualized data center, or even access to your cloud infrastructure. Oh, that's or, a whole other discussion. <laughs> Yeah, or even security data for each individual user. I mean, for example, what happens if their certificate, the user certificates are gone because the, the certificate manager is no longer around to give you the root? You know, that root certificate's kind of important. <laughs> if the, the certificate manager is gone, and I'm not even talking about a key manager, we're just talking about the certificate manager is gone. Now you have to recover the certificate manager, but what about its key? Right. Right? It's master key. Right. How do you get that back? How do you get back to where you can look at it? And have you written down the procedure to recreate everything? So you have yeah, the key. Yeah, who do you start with? You know, the key was copied onto a USB stick, stuck in the safe of the CEO, 
everything's cool, the safe is fireproof, there was no fire, we have the key. Okay, what's the procedure for rebuilding a CA and restoring that key and regenerating all certificates? Uh, uh, that should yep. be with the key. Yes. And or a script to do it, not just have the backup of the key and anything crucial like that, but you may want even the script that says, hey, run the script and does it all for you. So if, all if, if, you're, if you're a security guy slash IT guy or both working together, perish the thought, um, here is a very good justification for getting some new hardware that allows you to completely test all of these different components and write down the procedures, document them, make them part of your governance risk and compliance framework. I mean, you, you're, you're worried about your career? You're worried about being outsourced? Here's your opportunity. If you can write all this stuff down and create all this stuff, you've just created yourself a new business. And a new job, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is a chance off. So and the thing is, is that you're going to have to work with others because if you really want this to happen as fast as humanly possible, if you have a very large enterprise, you may have 20 or 30 AD servers and, and so forth. You may actually have even more than that. Right. And you may have to, you have to recover all those users. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you've got to work with the network team. You've got to work yep. with the storage team. You've got to work with the security team. You've got to work with IT. I mean, these are all different components, and each one of them has security, quote-unquote, embedded in them. And is it documented, and is there a way to recreate it should a, quote-unquote, disaster happen? If you're hit by ransomware and there's encrypted files already on the disk and they get oh, re-encrypted... You know, you already have to worry about, you know, do I have the keys for those files? Right. Or do I have the log or do I have the logins for the uh the web interface that controls my whole my whole company? <laughs> yeah, I mean you you gotta you gotta worry about these things. I mean, this is a perfect opportunity once more for security to get involved with the quote unquote sec DevOps community to just Work with I with the rest of IT to create scripts to do all this. Security right. comes up with the idea. They start playing around with it. They get some IT script scripter involved, the rest of IT involved, and now you have scripts to solve these problems. Right, and these are these are problems that will be applicable across things. It's not just for, oh my God, the security disaster. This will be applicable for a physical disaster. This will be applicable for that time when you say, okay, we're going to build a brand new company. How do we start that brand new company? Oh, look, here's the template for how to build our company today. Let's use that template to build the next new company. I mean, there's, it, there's a lot of reusability here. Well, not only that, it's applicable to traditional disaster recovery as well because you've got to still apply all that security. You may recover the business, but you still need to recover the CA, the AD, and all that. Right. And this is still part of the business, but you're using old certificates and you still need the, the root somewhere. You may have the root stored locally for the time being, which is usually where they are, but you still need something to issue new ones. 
and so forth. So there's a lot more you have to do just in the traditional disaster recovery. I mean, at the beginning, we were talking about TLS. How do you muck around with that should be documented? You know, if you made that change to your host or to your entire IT world, document how you made that change. Because when you do a disaster recovery, you may have to make it again. Mm-hmm. It depends on how old those that that recovery is, that recovery point is. You know, you got to think about that. It may not be, oh, I just made the change yesterday or an hour ago, and it's suddenly in the data protection area. It's not going to be there for how until the next window, whatever that is. So we need to think about that. So, I mean, what's the thing about who should be writing this? Is it the senior security guy? Is it something that should be coming out of the CISO's office? Is it just general IT? What do you think? Um, this should be coming, the directive really should be coming from the CISO in conjunction with the um, um, probably CTO level. I mean, this this is important to the business. Should be funded at that level, uh, and should be reported on at that level, at the C level. Um, this is absolutely critical to the business, and I think a lot of companies kind of hand wave it away and say, "Ah, it'll never happen to us," and everything's worked fine for the past twenty years. We've been safe with what we have. You know, what do I need it for? Times they are changing, as we well know. Uh, let's let's just say this: we had a, I had a company I was working with that had that message as well, and um, they needed to do. They finally found a, an attack. They didn't think it was anything, but they kept on going. They went to their data protection and said, "Okay, we'll just restore past that and fix it before that and fix it." What they didn't know is they were hacked for seven years. Right. <laughs> So they're, res- they're restoring the hack. <laughs> they're restoring the hack every time. And the real issue the fix would have been go back to playing media, but then again, you know, add the apps back in and so forth. But people think that they we, – we have better detection of attacks now than we did back then. But there are still cases where people have been hacked for years and just never known it. And you need to have a response for that. And, and you could say it's up to incident response to take care of it, do the research, and, and come up with the, the remediation and so forth. There is a million, one million security jobs in the world available right now. If you are in security and you want a job, you can get one. Most of those are in incident response. I'd say yes. probably about 80% of them are in incident response. So 800,000 incident responders are not here. It can't be their job. They're overworked as it is. Should they be involved? Yes. Is it their job? Probably not. There's just not enough people, not enough hours in the day. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, if you want to get out of the... The sitting sitting at a in, in a in a security operations center, staring at the wall of monitors, going, "Oh look, something's red." Oh, Mike and Tech Marketing is trying to do something stupid again. 
if you want to get out of that and get into how do I ensure the business keeps running, here's your opportunity. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It really is a high. It is really a business discussion. What is the security that's required to keep the business running? Is a really interesting question. I'm not sure any business truly knows what that answer is, other than all of it. You know, when you think about it, is it all of it? Yep. And the answer may not be it's all of it. It may be something entirely different. That's actually worth considering as well. I mean, disaster recovery is not about everything. It's about keeping the business running, whatever that is. In my case, it's an extreme subset of what I have. In a company that I do business with, it does 44 billion queries a day. It has a really different view of what it requires to keep the business running. You know, how many nodes could they lose before they go below where they can keep the business running. When you start talking about scale, security changes as well. Now you start talking about almost security function virtualization. Well, if I have security function virtualization where I have small security functions doing basically microservices level jobs, how do I keep them running? How do I continually keep them deployed now I actually start talking about, oh, do I need the infrastructure server deploy security as a service build server as part of this to keep my application running? I think security is moving closer to the app. You would agree with that, right? Yep. At high scale, it's already close to the app, so security functions become a really different view of the world. This is going to be really, really interesting in the future as we scale up. Your security disaster recovery or disaster response is going to be wildly different than it is today. It has to be. Agreed. So let's look at a typical virtual environment where you're running typical apps. You know, a typical enterprise has in it Exchange, AD, DNS, you know, things like File that. servers file servers. Your job as a security, writing the security disaster response plan, discuss recovery plan, is to determine which of those are important to the business. And which part of them are important to the business. For example, if QA was without email for a week, would that be a problem? Okay. Would the would it be a problem if the sales force was without email for a week? Probably oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. QA only if you're in the middle of a release. So I, now I have to tie to the release schedule of the business and say, hey, QA can't be without email because we're in the middle of a release. We just crapped out. What do we do? You know. So you're really talking about it's. It sounds like minutia in a lot of ways, but it really could be. It's, right. it's generalized and, and minutia. And all of this has to, absolutely has to be done in conjunction with IT. And the business. And the business. Because the business will set the priorities. IT will be the, the guys actually doing a lot of the heavy work. 
and security will be the one ensuring that everything is done in a secure fashion. And giving more governance to the work that's being done. In the right. And, like and they, will the have the ones ones can. they will have the ones that say, okay, um, disaster recovery plan says we need to rebuild AD. Who has the latest AD backups? Who has the keys? So on and so forth. Okay, IT, you go build AD, and I'll stand here and insert the key at the at the appropriate time. Right. Or I better mean, that, yet, and better yet, write a script to do it. <laughs> yeah. Store the but, script with the AD recovery and just run it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you can't. You can't write the script until you have the steps that are necessary written down. The, the, the necessary steps being written down is your outline by which you then turn around and create the automation to support. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's absolutely required. Right. Because I'll, I'll say right now, AD has a lot of automation scripts around it, so you can just oh, sure. and use it. Sure. I, 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 wrote a, I wrote a PowerShell script that builds a Windows 2012 R2 uh, domain controller with AD all set up, running uh, DNS, the whole, whole nine yards, all basically for lab work. Uh, you can automate the hell out of all of that stuff. It's not right. hard to do. You just have to know, you have to do it. You need to be willing to play with those particular tools. Or and, use and some of the other practice. tools out or use some of the other tools out there like Puppet or Chef and just make sure you use the security sides of them. Right, but if you're going to use all of these other tools um, how do you those other tools. How do you ensure those other tools aren't aren't compromised? Right? I mean so that it this is really like you know, peeling apart an onion. I mean, there's layer after layer after layer. Each one of them may or may not have interconnections between each other, right? And each one of them are going to line up in a, I have to do this step before I can do that step. If you look at my script for building a, an Active Directory domain controller, um, it actually uses run once to reboot the system about three or four times because there are certain tasks that you can do that then require a reboot before you can do the next set of tasks and so forth. So you need to know all of these things, otherwise someone is going to screw it up. Exactly. And it needs to be written down or in a run book or something like that. How you do it, you could actually put this in. There's a lot of disaster recovery tools out there now actually have the capability to add in quote-unquote run books, which are really just scripting tasks. Yep. You can actually bake this into your existing DR so that the security part of DR happens when you do DR. That is the ideal configuration, I would think. Right. I mean, you know, a, a typical DR software today is going to restore the VMs and yeah. has the assumption that the infrastructure is A-OK. Yes. Right? But you can verify. What, 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 what we're talking about is we're running with the assumption that everything is compromised. And that means you need tools to verify the infrastructure or make sure it's on or brand new clean infrastructure or rebuild it from scratch. Right. 
Either way you do it, you may have to reinstall all the infrastructure. You may have to relay down firmware. You know, if you start from the ground up, how do you build a business? I get machines. I upgrade all the hard firmware. I lay down a virtual hypervisor or I lay right. down an operating system. Then I lay down what my apps or my VMs and so forth and so forth and so forth. And you can still have to do that. Back in many, many Many, many shows ago, we had on the show, and this was early days, a, a, um, a gentleman's name was Wyatt Stearns, and he ran a company that literally did firmware verification. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that, you almost have to go down to that level to verify that that firmware has not – the supply chain has not been hacked. Right. And that's what we're talking about. This is part of the. This is part and parcel of you've got a fully compromised environment. What do you do? Look at your right. supply chain, figure out where the hack is, and then fix it from there, or start fresh, which means you still have to look at the supply chain. Right. And so your run your run book for oh my god, we have to recreate the whole infrastructure from scratch would probably start with we need to validate the firmwares, right? Yep. What's the procedure for validating the firmware? What do we have for servers? Oh, we have HP or we have Dell or we have so on and so forth. So we need the documentation on how to validate the firmware of each one of them or just reinstall the firmware clean knowing that we have a known good firmware and then start from there. And each one of those things has to be within the runbook. And if we can go, okay, we validated the firmware, we can now skip over the next three steps and go to this task. But unless you have it all written down, you won't know what the next task to do is. And if you have 20 or 30 IT and security and, and storage and network people all standing around, you want to make sure that they are doing the task that they are assigned in the in the uh, time that they are allotted, right? They can't be going, this is not a time to go shooting from the hip under the quote-unquote pressure of getting the business up. Because if you get the business up in an unsecure fashion and the, and the hackers are already pinging you and they know, you know, you know, he had a misconfigured firewall two weeks ago, I'll just hit that again. That might be his next jump point, and, and then you're back to square one. And it's really interesting is when you think about that, the average life of a Windows machine, I mean, the average time it takes to hack a Windows or a Linux or whatever machine you put on the net is getting lower and lower and lower. Right. It's seconds now, or once they find you, it takes seconds to minutes. It's not, it's not a long runtime to do that. Depending right. on the website you have and the type of website you have, it could actually be even less than that. So you right. really want to pay attention to this stuff and have that run book that says verify everything. Now, yeah, the I nice mean, thing is, is that's easy to script. Yes, yes. And one of the things you could say is, okay, we're going to do, you know, Everyone's in the room. Here are the next five things that we are going to do, and I need your answers. No modification to anything. This is a fact-finding thing. Networks, I need you to check what's in the run book. I need you to check these things. Storage, you need to check these things. You know, IT, you need to check these things. They all come back with their answers, and based on their answers is what the next step everyone does. 
And if the answer comes back with firmware looks okay, okay, great. We can jump to section, you know, D rather than rather than B. Um, all of these sorts of things you have to do in a prescribed fashion. Now, these are the sorts of things that everyone kind of laughs at and says, uh, oh, the, the, the U.S. military and the government, they just document everything just for the case of documentation. These are the types of things that happen. These are the types of things that get documented ad nauseum when you start doing things like flying bombers or carrying bombs or, or uh, you know, putting missiles in silos. All of these things have to be clearly documented because if you do the wrong thing at the wrong time, you could be in a deeper pickle than you are in right now. Yes. And I would agree, and that's exactly what needs to happen. Yeah. And that's why you need to think about this one is because I was just talking to a company that actually they do forensics, and they were basically saying your data center is a crime scene. Thinking about it any other way is the wrong way to think about your data center. I actually thought that was a really cool idea because your data center is a crime scene. There's so much crap going on and crud going on that you don't know about. You've got to assume that if you do find a hack, that it's actually worse than you think it is. Right. This is where you need to think about what do you do? What's your response to that at that found attack? Now, a lot of it's going to be, oh, go check with incident response and see about the remediation, some of the simple things like that. There's going to be other ones where it's like, oh, that impacted this critical resource, which we've identified as critical. Now, what do we do? Well, you may have to rebuild that critical resource. This is why you need these, these, these run books. And I, I think that you need to tie them to your existing DR as much as you possibly can. They should be one combination of books. And what you were just talking about is exactly what they did before they launched the space they launched a space shuttle or launched a rocket. Like, exactly. Capcom, go no go. You know, they keep on going around the room. What do you want me to do? Go no go. And all they're doing is looking right. at data no, saying go nobody, no. nobody nobody goes <laughs> cowboy at that time. No one right? does that. It's like this is a definite and you could actually automate those checks six ways to Sunday if you needed to. I mean I have been I have been in this situation. I have been in the room where I told everyone to get their hands off of the computers and that we were going, because everyone was like, oh, my God, we're being attacked, we're being attacked. This is when Mitnick was going through digital. And I said, get your hands off the computers. I don't know what you're doing. You may be making it worse. Yeah. This is a chance for you to just do research, run a script, get a tool. I mean, actually, I would run the script. That's what that get right. This is a perfect chance for a security person to team up with a regular IT person and get back to being important again. You write the script with them. You guys both contribute to it, and you get other people to contribute to it. Now security becomes you. You're now back in the show. This is a good option for that. If your team feels like it's not as part part of IT as it should be, use something like this to get back in the show. Mm -hmm. Become relevant again. Security's been pushed to the side so much, and we've said this before, and it's just, but you think about it, there were, last year there were 40, close to 40,000 people at RSA conference. 
This year, it's rumored that the number is around 43,000. Wow. So it's over 40,000 people showed up I didn't, at our and I didn't conference. even go. <laughs> Neither did I this year uh, for various personal reasons. But when you think about it, 43,000 people think security is important. Mm-hmm. 43,000 strangers. There's something like 1,200, 1,300 vendors on the two show floors at RSA conference. I mean, it's a huge number. Security is not going to go away. If you're in IT and you don't think you need to talk to security people and, and solve a security disaster recovery plan, you need to start to walk over and talk to them now. Bring it up to them and say, hey, I want you to do this. Right. What do we do first from a security perspective? Put it back in their lap. Get involved. Perfect opportunity. It's all brand new. And this yep. actually is a relatively new concept. It's an old concept sure of coming back. It sure is. But it, it, it has that, like you pointed out, it has that direct parallel uh, workflow to the space program. Yes. It really, really does. And it, while it sounds archaic and, oh, my God, do we really have to do this? And then, you know, the pushback at the sea level is, well, you know, that's, that's going to cost money. Do we really want to do that? How important is – I mean, the security spend right now is off the charts. Yeah. And I would argue that the vast majority of security spend, quite honestly, is on compliance and not on something like this. What was the name of the security guy in the Phoenix Project? Do you remember? Oh. But here's the thing. Think about this from a, from a Phoenix Project perspective. If the security guy walked into the room and said, okay, here we got to do, you know, IT guy in charge of PCI, go, no, go. You know, we got an attack. Right. What do we do? Go, no, go. Go, no. If that's all he does, you know, we need those people. We need the people that know how to ask those questions in a security-related problem. You know, are we compliant because we're handling credit cards by hand? Well, let's see. Go, no, go. Is that going to impact the business in a negative way? That's a big part of this decision. No. Okay, next. Is, it going to imp is IT up to dealing with this by hand? Yes. You know, you go around the room and it's like, okay, done with meeting. Let's go do it. Right. This is really a case of let's simplify our lives by having thought about it beforehand and have and, and I, I mean this is kind of like in the space program there was a guy there that I mean um Gene Krantz was one of them he was the director of a launch and when you're a director of the launch you're in charge Mm -hmm. And he kept them going around the room. You know, you talk to e-com, which is communications. Okay, networking, are you all set? And eventually it got to a guy named Capcom. Mm -hmm. Capcom was the guy that talked to the, to the actual astronauts. That was his right. job. No one else talked to him but him. This is also the guy that could be talking about the business. Exactly. Are we ready business? Yeah, it, and it's funny. During, during the time when we were being attacked by Kevin, um, you know, we were all geeks. We were all space nuts. And we, as you were describing each one of those things, I'm like, okay, Dave was doing that. 
Um, this guy was doing that. I was doing that. And during different incidences, you know, we'd, we'd switch characters. And I was Capcom once, and another time Dave was Capcom. And at one time Dave was Capcom and then turned around and said, nope, Mike does this better. You do that, Mike. And, um, yeah, I mean, and then there was one guy who talked to me. I was Capcom. And then one guy talked to me, and he went off and talked to the business. So as part of your DR plan, it might be worthwhile to consider figuring out who plays what part. The last thing you want is the guy at the keyboard getting up and turning around and walking over and talking to the business. And that puts undue pressure on the guy doing the work or yeah. guys doing the work. You yeah. want you need that go between. In a security I, world, that person most likely needs to be a security yeah. person that understands the business. So that actually kind of puts it in the CISO's lap. Right. I actually was due in the middle of a very difficult upgrade that had uh, hundreds of people uh, uh, with downtime, no email for the whole section of the deck networking business uh, because someone went in and made a change without co consulting me after I left the, left the data center and went to bed. The system was completely down the next morning because someone made the change. Uh, I, I went back in, and I'm trying to fix everything, and in walks the guy who made the change. And I turned over, who happened to be my boss at the time, and I turned to one of the other guys and said, get him out of here before I kill him. <laughs> right? That's you don't want that happening in this situation. Everybody has a role. Everybody needs to play their role, and everybody needs to stay in their role. And, this, and you don't want to come up with these roles and rules on the fly while it's happening. Right. This all needs to be in there. You have disaster recovery. Someone has to be in a, in a standard disaster recovery acting on behalf of the business or talking to the business. From a security perspective, someone has to be doing that as well. And those two people may be working together. And they could be one and the same. They could be different people because of knowledge. But it still needs to be done. But right. Think about this, guys. When you start talking about restoring security aspects of an infrastructure, it is not simply let's restore a VM or restore an operating system. There's a whole lot more to that. You need to know what that whole lot more is. And you got to start from the ground up. Start thinking about your plan from, okay, how do I verify the firmware? How do I verify the operating, the, the hardware? How do I verify the operating system? How do I verify the hypervisor? Everything like that. Verification is going to be a major part of this so you know which steps to skip. So this has been a lovely hour talking about a security <laughs> disaster recovery response plan. It's been very I interesting. I have the name of the, the chief security officer uh, from <laughs> the good. Phoenix Project, John Pesh. It's P -P John, yeah. John, yeah. John. I looked it up as well. So, yes, if you want to be – you can't be like John's in the beginning of the book, but you can be like John at the end of the book. Oh, yeah, definitely. Just don't go on a bender in between. Oh.
But, you know, you can take heart. I mean, basically it is about knowing what you can, you can keep and what you can get rid of. But you also need to know where you're starting. So go, and, go forth and part the red tape, please. Go Capcom. Go Capcom. Find your Capcom. <laughs> Capcom, go. No go. Capcom is go. Capcom <laughs> is go. And that will end the 174th edition of the Virtualization Cloud Security Podcast. Good luck, Clear folks. for launch. We are now clear for launch. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.